Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and this is going to be a solo episode. The first of many solo episodes. As everyone knows, I've been busy working on a number of different projects, and I admitted that the podcast kind of got away from me a little bit, but I promised that I would do everything in my power to try to get something out at least once a week. And one of the things that I wanted to do was to start a new segment. I'm still working on the name. I plan on releasing these segments every Tuesday morning, so I thought about calling them Tuesdays with Dana, but I don't know. It's basically answering listeners' emails and questions that are sent via Twitter and Instagram, and I got a lot of really good questions this time, so I feel like I've got what I need to do this first episode, and if you want to send questions to me, if you want to know my opinion on different movies, franchises, actors, or maybe even coax a story out of me, send me a message on Twitter at Dana Buckler Show, send me a message on Instagram at the Dana Buckler Show, or email me at the Dana Buckler Show at gmail.com. So let's jump right into it. The first question is going to come from Instagram and it's from my friend Stein and she writes, hi Dana, a couple of questions for your upcoming segment. Choose whichever you would rather elaborate on. Which bad or mediocre movie do you think has the best soundtrack despite the film itself being less than great? She said for her, it was the Twilight films. Well, look, I'm not reading these questions right off the bat. I got an opportunity to read them a little while ago, and this one really challenged me. When I when I first read it, I was kind of like, oh my goodness. I started thinking about, you know, 1986's Rad, the BMX movie, which is one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure films, and I... I'm still trying to get Bill Allen, the actor that plays Crew Jones on the show at some point. That's got a great rockin' 80s soundtrack, but the more I thought about it, the more I was basically like, oh, well, I remember one soundtrack that I listened to in high school over and over again. I thought the soundtrack was amazing. I saw the movie. I mean, I listened to the soundtrack probably four months before I saw the movie. It It's killer. And it is... 1995's Batman Forever. This has U2, Seal. It has an incredible cover version of The Passenger sung by Michael Hutchinson. It's an incredible song. It's an incredible soundtrack. And no, I'm, I'm not a fan of that movie whatsoever. And I know there are some people out there that really love it. And if you love it, that's great. I'm, I'm jealous that you found more pleasure in it than I did. That one really sticks to me because a lot of times a good soundtrack can make a mediocre movie better. I'm, I'm grasping at straws to think of an example right away, but I think Batman Forever is a clear-cut example of a movie that is not good, that has a great soundtrack. So... She also did ask me, who is your favorite character actor? And she put that hers was Stephen Tobolowsky, which (laughs) she put, the man is a national treasure. Well, it's hard to debate that. Tobolowsky's been in some awesome movies, and he's, by all accounts, a terrific guy. And he does an amazing podcast, The Tobolowsky Files. He's a hell of a good storyteller, so... Uh, I really like him. Um, Thinking about this one, Stein, I was really... There's so many good character actors, but I'm trying to think of, you know, the the actors that have never had that starring role. They've always been the supporting characters, or in some cases are only in the films for 10 minutes at best. So I thought about it for a little bit, and my answer is clearly going to be William Fickner. 
And if you're not familiar with who William Fickner is, he's been in, in everything from Armageddon to Heat to The Perfect Storm. In Armageddon, he's Captain Willie Sharp. For our comic book superhero fans, he is the bank manager in The Dark Knight. He's the one that comes out and is like, do you guys have any idea who you're stealing with? I think that guy's a... F- I was going to drop the F word there. I'm sorry. I'm having a little too much coffee this morning. I think that guy's a phenomenal actor, and I think he's been great in literally everything I've ever seen him in. So, great questions. I love that. All right. So, on to the next question. Let's see. Jeff W. emailed the show and said, On your recent action movie draft, you gave a 60-second review of a few different movie series. Can you give me your 60-second thoughts on the entire Superman franchise, starting with 1977 Superman? Thank you, and I've been listening since 2015, and I'm happy to hear you're back. Jeff W. from London. Jeff, I appreciate that. A um, couple things. One, uh, just a nitpick. Superman was 78, I believe. Uh, yeah, anyway, just putting that out there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could cover all the Superman movies that have come out in 60 seconds. So I'm going to give my super, super condensed, probably will regret some of the things that I'm saying reviews of all the films, because I I think the more you think about some of the films, uh, the pros and cons become more prevalent. Uh, 1978 Superman directed by Richard Donner uh, is, and we've discussed this before on the 20th Century Movie Club. I know Mike and I have talked about it at length. It may be the best comic book superhero film of all time i mean the movie came out the year i was born so that means that the film is 43 years old that's an incredible movie uh the performances across the board christopher reeve gene hackman ned Beatty, margot kidder i mean marlon brando got paid three million dollars to star in the first 11 minutes of the film john williams iconic theme uh, just a just a great film. Superman 2. All right. So talking about the follow up, I believe that was 1980 that when that film came out, just like I corrected Jeff, feel free to correct me if I got the year wrong. I have flip flopped on how I feel about Superman 2 a number of times, especially since in 2006, when they were promoting the Superman Returns movie, the uh, Brandon Routh, Brian Singer directed film, they released the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. Um, and I have an episode on the uh, sort of the history of the first couple Superman films, so I, I urge everyone to check it out. But the, the short end of, of it is that... Richard Donner clashed with the Salkins, who were the producers, uh, clashed quite a bit over the production. Donner was actually hired to direct both Superman and Superman 2 at the same time. And uh, midway through production on the second film, they fired him and put in Richard Lester to finish the film. So I'm a big fan of the aspects of the film that are Richard Donner. Some of the stuff that Richard Lester added are good. The entire entire Eiffel Tower sequence is actually a Richard Lester segment that was added to the film. Overall, I think it's a watchable film. I, I would strongly recommend you, you seek out the Donner cut. Um, I have it on DVD. I'm not sure if it's available to stream or not. Then we get into Superman 3, which... I don't know what's going on here. This film's directed by Richard Lester. It's really... I think Richard Pryor gets top billing over Christopher Reeve in this one. And this movie is just silly. Is that the word to look for? Goofy? That entire opening segment where, you know, everything is going wrong. One, you know, one little act, one little trip over this causes this mass situation to happen in downtown Calgary where they filmed the movie. 
I guess I could say the film is watchable in some parts. I do like the part, spoiler alert, when Superman becomes bad guy and he's sitting in the bar and he's getting drunk and he's he's flicking peanuts and breaking bottles. I think that's pretty cool. And I think Christopher Reeve, as sort of bad, evil Superman, was truly menacing. And it, it really showed a side of Christopher Reeve that I wasn't ready to see. And um, I'm surprised he didn't tackle more dramatic thriller roles in the 80s, you know. So Superman 4, 1987 Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Um, well, there's really not much to say there except that the Canon Group acquired the rights to the Superman film. They slashed the budget in half, and you can tell that's the case. Um, I think there's an interesting idea for a movie there, but I don't think that movie, you know, was ever made. And when I watch Superman 4, honestly, I just get sad. I get sad when I watch this film because you could tell that Christopher Reeve, who was heavily involved in the you know, sort of the aspect of, of getting the story together. And, and really, I liked the message that he was trying to put across. But it, it's when you watch the film, it's it's so bad and shocking that they got Gene Hackman. And I mean, I think they I think they were starting with like a $40 million budget and they slashed it down to $16 million. And I imagine $6 million of that probably had to go to Gene Hackman to reprise the role of Lex Luthor. So it, I, I, I get sad when I watch this. And, and by the way, Jeff... I told you I couldn't do 60 seconds on the Superman franchise, but I'm trying. So I guess we need to skip ahead to 2006's Superman Returns. I was really, really excited to see this film. Uh, I loved the idea that the sort of the premise of this film was to pick up where the events of Superman 2 left off. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say that uh, although the film has some great visual effects that I think still hold up here in 2021, some, you know, 15 years after the film came out. I think the pace of the film is real. I really struggle with the pace. Although I think Brandon Routh was, uh, you know, good choice for Superman. Can't really get too much more into, you know, the director of the film and Kevin Spacey because they're both uh, really not good people. And I don't want to even go down that rabbit hole. So 2013's Man of Steel, I was, I mean, this was day one. I was going to go see that movie right away. I remember seeing The Dark Knight Rises in theaters in July of 2012. And that film, the they played a teaser trailer for a Superman film. And they really pushed the fact that Nolan was involved, you know, produced by Christopher Nolan. And I'm just like, holy shit, I'm getting ready to watch another. Nolan's going to, he's he's going to be the greatest director of all time. He's He, he can never miss. He can never lose. He's going to be great. I can't. I'm so excited. And then I saw the movie and there are elements of Man of Steel that I really like. I like Henry Cavill, but man, I have to say that I do not think that the special effects in that film held up when I was watching it the day it came out. And I don't think they hold up today. I just think uh, it, it really wasn't for me. And so I guess I need to get into Batman v Superman. Okay. I saw it, and then the Justice League, which there's now going to be a four-hour version of Justice League's coming out about a month from recording this, so stay tuned. I'll get back to you on that. So, all right. Well, Jeff, thank you for sending that question, and I know that took me a while to answer it, but I, I kind of knew that was going to happen. Let's see. Brandon Stevens on Instagram says, I'm sure you get this question a lot. What does the post-COVID movie theater industry look like? Some say theaters will be reserved for big releases, superhero films, etc. 
while more artistic and less commercially driven films will go straight to POV and streaming service? Well, let's look at this question point by point. Uh, What does the post-COVID movie theater industry look like? Some say theaters will be reserved for big releases, superhero films. Yeah, uh, I agree with that 100%. Well, more artistic and less commercially driven films will go straight to POV and or streaming services. Maybe. That's the big one. Maybe. Uh, this year, for the first time, the Academy Awards is allowing films that debuted on streaming to qualify for an Oscar. And... They said it was gonna. They were just gonna do it for the year 2020. But who, who's kidding? Who? This is going to happen for 2021. So this is a. This would be. I mean, I could spend a whole episode talking about this one, Brandon. But this is what you need to know. I agree with you 100% that the big studio films. These are the 250 plus million productions. They have to go in theaters because they are not going to make that money back on video on demand, not even premium video on demand. That's just not going to happen. The more artistic and uh, less commercial driven films, they'll go straight to POV or streaming services if the uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences takes back that exception. If they say, oh, no, no, you have to be theatrically released, then you'll see films get, you know, small theatrical releases. But I think, and I'm going to ramble on this for a little bit here, but I think that... I don't think a movie theater more than six screens will ever be built again. I think the average big multiplex is anywhere from 14 to 24 screens. And I feel really bad for those theaters because the hol- the studios would love nothing more. They would love nothing more than to put their movie on HBO Max and in theaters and premium video on demand. And they'd they love nothing more than that. They, for the smaller films, they'd love nothing more than that. For the big films, look, you got to put them in theaters. That's the only way you're going to make your money. But, you know, what's what's the flip side of that? We're going to see far less big tentpole films. I mean, if you look what Disney's doing, and when, when they had their investors presentation, investors day presentation three or four months ago, they made it clear, abundantly clear, that they are shifting they're focused to their streaming service. I mean, Disney Plus is 90 plus million subscribers. Like, you're going to see most of the, their big IPs, their Star Wars, their Marvel, all of that stuff. All that stuff's just going to go straight to Disney Plus. You know, I mean, they're going to release Black Widow in theaters because that movie's done and they, they've been sitting on it for over a year. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see a complete shift from Marvel films to just Marvel series or the whole nine because that's what Disney wants. So I know I'm going all over the place with your question here, um, Brandon, but um, I agree with what you said. I think theaters will really go for just the big releases and you're going to see jacked up ticket prices too. make, make no mistake about that. You're totally going to see jacked up ticket prices. You know, what's interesting is like six years ago, Phil Juano, frequent guest of the show, writer, director, good friend of mine, he predicted this, this model, this, this, what HBO max is doing, the movies being released on a streaming service or, you know, uh, VOD the same day they're in theaters. He, 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 he predicted that that would happen. You know, of course, when he made that prediction, no, nobody was thinking global pandemic. He thought it would take about 10 years. And, you know, his prediction took five years for, for reasons that none of us could have foreseen back then. But, uh, I think you can't, I'm trying to think of what's the fun statements. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. I think we are looking at a monumental shift in how we watch our films. And I think what you'll get instead of three movies a week coming out in theaters, you're going to get 
you know, my prediction like a year from now is you're going to get one movie a month that will come out and will play on six screens in a multiplex and that's it. So, and I could be wrong. I mean, I could be wrong. Things have changed so drastically in just one, under a year. So it's it's pretty interesting. Brandon, thanks for the question. Oh, wait, he's got one more thing. He said, one last question. Which decade had the best horror movies? Well, I mean, I don't know if there's much of a debate on this one. And if, you know, feel free, anyone who's listening to, to reach out to me on Twitter or an email if you disagree. But of course, the answer is the 1980s, right? I mean, that's the Elm Street, the heyday of Friday the 13th. The, you get uh, you, know, you get some really, really good horror movies. Now, granted, the best horror movie ever made came out in the early 70s, and that's The Exorcist. And some people will say that the best slasher film of all time uh, was Halloween that came out in 1978. But I think pound for pound, when you look at the number of horror movies that came out, I don't think there's much debate. It's, it's definitely the 1980s. I mean, when I was talking to David Weiner, he's the director of In Search of Darkness, which are these definitive, if you combine them, eight-hour-long documentary on the 1980s. I, I asked him off when we weren't recording, you know, any, any thoughts of, you know, tackling the 70s or 90s? And he's like, well, we, we all, we're always open to exploring those ideas. But even he said, look, the 80s is that's, that's the bread and butter for horror movies. So I'm going to say the 1980s, Brandon. And uh, I'd love to hear what other people have to say. Let's see here. The next, next one is uh, from Andrew Storm. It says, Dana, welcome back. I enjoy listening to your bad cinema trip stories. Though I do not have any myself, I wonder if it's possible to have a weird streaming experience at home. Regards, Andrew Storm. Well, I'm happy to report that I haven't had a weird streaming at home story yet. But rest assured, Andrew and everyone listening, if something crazy can happen while someone's watching a movie at home on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime, rest assured... It will happen to me, and I will certainly report back to you. This message comes from my friend Richard Sternberg on Twitter. Hey, Dana, question for your new segment. If you owned a movie theater, what would you call it? Oh, well, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what I would call my movie theater, but I definitely know some of the rules that I would uh, certainly have in play. There's a great movie theater here, a movie theater chain here in the United States called the Alamo Draft House, and they're pretty adamant that you do not talk or text. But I think they're a little too lenient on people that talk and text during the movie. So I would actually ban cell phones in my theaters. So I'm just kidding. You know, I've thought long and hard about this one. And of course, the obvious answers would be Dana's twosies. Because I want to create a world and where you can go to the theater and you don't have to worry about anyone sitting next to you. So there would be rows of just two seats. There'd be multiple rows of single seats. There'd be about four feet, you know, at least four to six feet around everybody. Like I said, I used to practice social distancing long before it was something that they recommended during the pandemic. It's still to this day, it baffles me how you can go into a movie theater, be the only one in there and you sit down. And then a couple walks in and they sit either directly in front of you or directly behind you or, as it's happened to me on a couple of occasions, right next to me. Literally, elbow to elbow. There's no one else in the theater. 
This has happened to me before. You know, I'm often asked, do you miss the movie theater experience? And I, I get very nostalgic about the idea of going back to the theater. And then I think about all the nightmare scenarios that have played out. So to be determined, obviously, I would, I would have to call it to the twosies because that's sort of been my bread and butter. I was literally picking movie theaters based on whether or not they had that row of two seats off to the side. All right, let's look at the next question. This says, Dear Dana, love the podcast and love how you keep evolving. I know you have met quite a few celebrities over the years, and by all of your accounts, they have been very nice. Have you had a bad experience with a famous person? Keep up the great work, and please tell Mike that I said hello. Sean from Phoenix. Well, Sean, thank you. First of all, thank you for the question. I have been lucky enough to meet uh, a, a few different, you know, interesting and influential people over the past eight years of doing this podcast. Uh, obviously, when people ask me, you know, what's been the highlight of the show, besides talking to you, which is my favorite thing to do, which is talking to the listeners, getting an opportunity to sit down with John Travolta, who's one of my favorite actors of all time, that was uh, that was a dream come true. And, and that wasn't a Zoom call. That wasn't a Skype call. That was done in person. We were sitting across from each other, and he was just delightful. I have uh, had an opportunity to talk to a couple of people that ended up not being what I expected. And I don't want to say their names right now, but I feel pressed to tell the story of when I met uh, one of the most famous singers of all time and how the experience did not go as well as I had hoped it would. This happened about seven years ago. At the time, I was waiting tables at a high-end prime steakhouse in Florida. And it was a typical Saturday night, very busy. The owner comes up to me and says, Hey, Dana, listen, we've got a party of four that's going to go in your section. We need you to be very discreet about this. It's a pretty high-profile person coming in. And I said, Oh, okay, awesome. You know, who? who? And she said, it's Shania Twain. And I said, oh my goodness, Shania Twain. Now remember everyone, I'm from Canada and Shania Twain is like royalty where I'm from. Like it's Celine Dion, Shania Twain. Like they're, I mean, these people are, are, are freaking royalty where I'm from. And I mean, in, in the 1990s, Shania was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, you know, singer in the world for a period there. And I remember sneaking away to text my sister and my mom to say, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I'm going to get an opportunity to not only meet Shania Twain, but I'm going to get a chance to wait on their table. And I'm very, very excited about this. So I snuck away and text them. And of course, they're very, very excited. And so in walks Shania with her husband. Now, this wasn't Mutt Lang. She had since divorced Mutt Lang, who was a producer on, on some of her albums. And they were coming in with a couple that lived in town. So I recognized the other couple and I greeted them and I immediately... Oh, I should backtrack for a second. I knew, don't ask me how, but I knew that Shania was a vegetarian. And of course, she's coming into a steakhouse. So I went to go speak with the chef and I explained, you know, Shania Twain's coming in and he was a little bit older than me. He knew exactly who, who Shania was. I said, she's a vegetarian. What do you think? He's like, listen, I'm going to make her a vegetarian flatbread. It's awesome. She's going to love it. Just do me a favor. Just ask her. If there's anything that she's not a fan of, and we'll be sure to leave it off. And that's going to be the appetizer. And I'm like, that's great, chef. Thank you so much. So Shania and her husband and the other couple sit down. They order, right away order a $250 bottle of wine, which I proceed to do the wine service, open the wine, and I'm reciting the dinner specials for the evening. And 
this is kind of par for the course when you work at some of these high-end restaurants where a lot of times the guests don't really want to engage with you too much. They're 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 more interested in who they're with and, and their conversation. And I totally get that it comes with the territory. But I, I couldn't help but notice that three of the four people at the table were intently listening to me as I was going over the dinner specials, but one person in particular couldn't be bothered to even look in my direction. Of course, you know who I'm talking about when I say this. At that point, I approach Shania and I say, good evening. And we're very delighted to have you in the restaurant. And the chef has prepared a very special vegetarian flatbread appetizer for you this evening. And we're really looking forward to you trying it. Now, before we start the preparation on this flatbread, I just want to know, is there anything that you're not a fan of? So we'll be sure to leave it off the appetizer. Without missing a beat, she looks at me, makes eye contact, then turns and looks at her husband then proceeds to speak in French to her husband, which, again, we're in Florida. She probably doesn't realize that I'm Canadian and and can, for the most part, understand French since it was taught in school my entire, you know, the entire time I was in, in school in Canada, we took French classes. So she's telling her husband in French, tell the waiter, no onions, no rice, and no ratatouille. Well, I understood everything she said. And her husband looks at me, and now he was a nice enough fellow. And he looks at me and he says, my wife, and I, without missing a beat, said, no, 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 I got it. No rice, no onions, no ratatouille. And he was just like, oh, okay. And I walk away. And that was the moment where I was just like, well, she's not very nice. She wouldn't even acknowledge me. And I remember going back there and my coworkers were coming to me like, what's she like? What's she like? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what she's like right now. Maybe she's, you know, maybe she's tired from, she's jet lagged or something. I don't know. So for the duration of the evening, every time I would have to, I would have to ask an individual at the table, you know, could I get you this? Or, or when it came to taking the order, she would not speak to me. She would only speak through her husband, which you could tell was making the other couple, which I waited on numerous times, very uncomfortable, but nobody's saying a word. Nobody's saying anything. So... After dinner, I clear the dinner plates and I am asking about dessert. And one of the gentlemen at the table said, just bring us three of your best desserts and some plates and some forks and we'll just share. And I said, great. And would anybody like a coffee, a cappuccino, espresso? And, you know, they're all coffee. And then I I go up to Shania. And again, I, even though she keeps, she won't speak to me. She only speaks through her husband. I keep asking her what she would like. Like, I'm I'm just not going to play ball on this one. So I say, excuse me, I said, uh, would you care for coffee or any type of after dinner drink with your dessert? And she looks at me and she actually speaks to me and she says, I will take mint green tea. And I looked at her and I said, well, we don't carry that. Something else? And she said, I'm fine. I was like, okay. And I walk away and I get the desserts together and I come back and I put the desserts down and I give everybody a little plate and a little dessert fork. And one of the guys, he's got his fork and he's about to, you know, take a piece of the chocolate cake. And Shania just stands up and says, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's go. And walks out the door. And the husband says, you can bring me the check. So that would probably be what I would call just a disappointing experience because I was a big, big fan of hers. And, you know, I still like, you know, I still like her music, but at the same time, you know, (laughs) that was really, uh, it was really disheartening. So, but there's a great follow-up to this story. And that is the very 
next day. Restaurant is kind of slow. It's around 8.45 at night. We close at 9 o'clock on that particular night. And I don't have any tables. And anyone that's worked in the restaurant industry knows that like, when you haven't had a table for like an hour, you're ready to go. And you can see the finish line. And just as I'm about ready to just say, all right, well, I guess I can just do my side work and get out of here. Manager comes up to me and says, I'm sorry, but I sat you a table. And I went, oh, come on, really? Like, yeah, because at this steakhouse, you knew that, you know, you can't rush the service. This place was a really expensive place to eat. And everything was just, there were multiple steps of service that had to be followed. So if it's 845, I know that I'm not leaving till 1130 at night now. So I can, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just disappointed. And I walk up to the table and it's a party of five. And it's a lady and her husband and a baby in a high chair and then two girls that were probably anywhere between 10 and 12 years old. And I just walked up to the table and I just said, you know, I, I, look, no matter what, I was disappointed that I had to take a table, but that I, I always gave it 100%. So I didn't care, you know, what time it was. You're going to get the best service possible for me. So I walk up to the table and I said, good evening. And she goes, let me stop you right there. And I said, yes. And she goes, I am so sorry we did not realize you close at 9 o'clock. And I said, no, 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 it's no big deal. It's no big deal at all. No. She goes, we're going to make this as quick as possible. So we're just going to give you the entire order, and you just bring the food out as it's ready, and then as soon as the last you know, entree hits the table, bring us a check, and we're going to get out of your hair. And I said, no, 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 please, please. She goes, no, listen. I, I used to do your job. I know exactly what's going on. We thought you closed at 10. We're so sorry. I said, well, all right, well, what's the order? And they just start ordering all kinds of like filet and lobster tail and all this. Um, all, I mean, they're just, they're, they're ordering basically the, the entire menu. And I'm just like furiously writing down their order. She's like, you got it? I'm like, great. Yeah. So I walk away. I'm at the computer ringing in the order and the hostess comes running up to me and she comes, she's very, very excited and very giddy. She's like, oh my God, do you know who that is? And I said, no, no, I don't know who that is. She goes like, that is Kelly Clarkson, American Idol Kelly Clarkson. And I looked over and look, I guess, you know, she's, she was just passing through and she didn't have her hair done and she didn't have any makeup. I look, I, I frankly, I didn't recognize her. I said, I don't know if that's Kelly Clarkson. She goes, no, I swear that's her. Long story short, it was Kelly Clarkson. And she was the nicest and friendliest person. One of the, I'm not just going to say one of the friendliest and nicest celebrities that I've ever waited on. I'm going to say she is one of the nicest and friendliest people I've ever waited on. She was so just engaging. Every time I would come to the table, she'd be, thank you, Dana. Where are you from, Dana? I said, well, I'm from Halifax. Oh, I've been there a few times. Now, mind you, I never let on that I knew who she was. I just made a point just to keep it professional. And when the when the meal was over with, she was just like, uh, she was like, all right, well, just bring us the check. And it was a pretty uh, substantial check. And without getting into the details, it was a pretty substantial gratuity. So Kelly, if you're listening, I've never forgotten that experience. You were amazing and incredibly kind. And you made a fan out of me, not because of the money you tipped, but by the way you treated me. And that goes a that goes a long way, and that's that's kind of how I've always been when I go out to restaurants. And I'm not going to go on a tangent on how you should treat people in the restaurant industry, but as somebody who has worked in it for way longer than I expected to, I am incredibly nice, and I don't 
fake it when I go to a restaurant. I don't fake being nice. Like I understand the job that people have to do there. I understand how challenging it is and how taxing it is. I would urge everyone listening, you know, when you when restaurants get back to where they are supposed to be and, and God willing that's going to be sooner than later, just remember that's that's a really hard job that they do. And uh, you know, make sure you treat people with kindness, especially in that industry. It goes a long way. You know, I like to say we remember the good tippers, we remember the bad tippers, but we remember the assholes more than any of them. And trust me, if you are ever an asshole at a restaurant and you go back, they're going to remember you. So, well, that's going to do it for this episode of, well, this untitled episode of Q&A with Dana. So I'll tell you what, here's what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. For the, I, and this is, this is perfect. I'm going to give away an Amazon gift card to whoever comes up with the best title for this new weekly segment where I just answer Q&A. So email the suggestions to the Dana Buckler show at gmail.com. You can tweet them and I will send an Amazon gift card to whoever picks out the best name because I am really, really struggling with it. What do we have on tap for the show coming up soon? I'm going to be going sort of back to the, uh, the how is this movie days for those longtime listeners. I've got a couple movies on tap. I'm just sort of chomping at the bit to, to tell you the story of how a couple movies came to be. So definitely check that out and uh, if you want to support the work that I'm doing on this show go to patreon.com slash how is this movie there you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month and help support the work I'm doing and and please send your questions to the Dana Buckler show at gmail.com I look forward to to chatting with you and until next time my name is Dana Buckler and thank you so much for listening
for the passenger He rides and he rides He looks through his window What does he see? He sees a bright and hollow sky He sees the stars come out tonight He sees the city's red backside He sees the winding ocean drive And everything was made for you and me All of it was made for you and me It just belongs to you and me So let's take a ride See what's mine 